It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, as we begin our uh, new series today, we are looking at the doctrine of worship, uh, specifically worship in the church. Am I on? No. Let me see. Okay, that's on. Well, I'll just holler until we're until we're there. But uh, we're looking at the doctrine of worship uh, in the church, and uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the essence of worship, so just laying the groundwork, trying to uh, define worship biblically, uh, and then look at the, the really the, the, the core uh, main passage in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, uh, about worship in John 4. So that's our, that's our plan for this morning. We'll see how far along we get. The plan is to get through all of it, because... Uh, we're, we're having eight lessons in this series, and every single one uh, we have planned out, so uh, we, need to, we need to get going here this morning. Let me go to the Lord and seek His favor this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we do ask, Lord, for Your grace and Your favor upon us this morning to enable us to rightly understand Your Word. Lord, You have revealed Your truth and Yourself in Your Word and it is us who need to adjust our minds and our lives to your revealed word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to mold us and to uh, make us into the image of Christ. Help us this morning as we uh, begin this study on worship. Lord, this is, this is the ultimate topic of the Bible, uh, especially considering that uh, worship is one thing in our lives that will stretch even into eternity. Faith will have an expiration date on it when we see you by sight. But Lord, only then will our worship really, in a sense, uh, begin to uh, begin to flourish and be what it uh, what it ought to be fully. And so, Lord, uh, help us to uh, give this topic the attention that it deserves. I pray that it would. Uh, impact our church in the way that we worship together as a body. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're beginning with the essence of worship, and um, John MacArthur defines worship as uh, honor and adoration directed to God. Worship is honor and adoration directed towards God, and every other commentator or theologian, systematic theology, if you look, if you look up their, their definition of worship, it's essentially this, this idea, um, that it is, uh, in, it is giving honor and adoration uh, towards God and God alone. Uh, true worship uh, our, our word comes from the, uh, from the old Anglo-Saxon word, I can't even pronounce it. It, it sounds like worship, uh, and, and that's really the idea um, behind our, our English word. Uh, worship, oh my, that is, I need to change, there we go. Worship is is worth-ship. So very much in, in, it, it, it is um, ascribing God to God his worth. 
And that's, that's why we see these words here, honor and adoration. The honor and adoration that he is worthy of. We, when you worship, you are ascribing to God the honor and adoration that he is worthy of, that he deserves. So you are uh, uh, heaping uh, honor and, and, and respect and, and love and devotion, adoration. You are heaping that on something uh, that deserves those things. And so uh, if this is true, if worship is uh, ascribing to someone or something the, the, the honor that is due him or it, if that's true, then God alone is worthy of worship. Right? Why? Because there is nobody worthy but him. There is nobody and nothing worthy of the kind of honor, respect, devotion, love, and adoration, the, the, the deepest affections of the heart. Nobody and nothing deserves it as God does. And so God is the object of supreme worship. And in fact, that's, that's what the, the Word of God tells us, is that is that you shall not worship any other God before me. That's one of God's commands. You shall not worship anything or anyone else but me. Why? Because nobody else deserves it. Nobody else and nothing else deserves it. The, the sheer worth of God far surpasses all others. Therefore, God alone is worthy of your worship, Christian. Now, uh, the theme verse 4 this morning is going to be John 4, 24. Uh, we're going to float around the Old Testament and the New Testament in this first uh, point, the first section, and then we'll come back to this verse. But I, wanna, I do want to bring this out because I'll probably be referencing it in one way or another, even in the first half. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, if we are to worship God rightly, what is worship, right? I think we need to just start from the ground up. We need to define worship. So, number one on your notes defining worship. There are a handful of different kinds of words that are sometimes translated worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to look at the key ones this morning. There's two key words that are used in the Hebrew Old Testament, and there's two Greek words that are used in the, in the Greek New Testament. So we'll take those on one at a time. You have them there on your notes. You don't have to write it down. Uh, Abad Abad is the first one. That's Old Testament. Old Testament Hebrew word abad means to serve. To serve. And in the Old Testament, uh, this is often connected to the temple service. 
of the Old Testament priests. This, is their, this was their function, was to avad God. Uh, they were to do the works or go before God uh, and avad him, as it were, uh, to serve him. And it's often translated either serve or worship. It goes back and forth because they're, they're synonymous. But this is more on the service, the act. The act of, remember, remember what worship is. Uh, what is worship? Can somebody remember what that is? Worship is what? Yes, so worship is honor and adoration directed towards God. And so connected with service here, it is doing things that communicate and show honor and adoration towards God. You see? That's the idea, is to serve and to do things physically that communicate honor and adoration to Yahweh. So let's look at a few, a few passages. Numbers 3, 5 through 7. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and have them stand before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. And they shall keep his responsibility and the responsibility for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to perform the service of the tabernacle. That's the, our word, avad. The, the worship service, the, the service of worship of the tabernacle. So you see it's already connected very early on in Numbers 3, also in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, this was the whole point of the Exodus. When God was uh, promising his rescue of his people, the purpose is worship. The reason for God's redemption of Israel out of Egypt was worship. Exodus 3.12, he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God at this holy mountain. There's our word, Avad, again. You shall serve God at this holy mountain, the Mount Sinai, right? Uh, God is promising to Moses uh, that I will deliver you and my people out of Egypt, and you will serve me, you will worship me here at the mountain. And then one more, Psalm 100, verse 2 says, serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. So again, serve Yahweh. You see it translated that way. Serve Yahweh, and it's not a, an act. Remember, uh, as I said already, this word has to do with the physical act of communicating or showing honor and adoration towards God. These are physical acts, but it's not drudgery. Right? It's, uh, these aren't duty-bound, i got to do this, i got to just pick up the, the, the plow and, and pull, as it were. Uh, God wants you to serve Him. He wants you to do things that show Him that, that He is worthy of your honor and adoration. He wants you to actually do stuff, but He wants you to be glad about it. He wants you to enjoy serving Him. Uh, Christian, your service, even in this church... When you do things, especially when you do the hard things, don't, don't try and avoid work in the church. You should be glad to work. You should be glad to serve. 
None of this griping about, I got to wake up early, I got I to work hard, or, or whatever it is, right? I, you know, the, it, the chairs are heavy. No, none of this complaining of, about working and serving the Lord. He wants you to serve him with gladness. Why? Because he's worth it. That's why. You get to do things for God. And one of those things that we're going to focus on in this uh, series is specifically the worship through song, because we're looking at worship in the church. So our singing is an act, right? When you sing, you're doing something. So when, you, when our, our singing is an act that shows, uh, an act that, that gives honor and adoration towards God, you should be glad in that. It should be happy. So you should not be singing, Great is your faithfulness. You should, not, it should, you should be glad that God is great in his faithfulness. There should be rejoicing and exuberance in it. Just as excited as you are for the, when Curry hits that three, you should be excited to sing the praises of God. Okay, the, the next Old Testament Hebrew word, uh, the, the main one, one of the main ones in the Old Testament is Hava or Hava. Hava in the Old Testament means uh, to bow down, to bow down. It is, it is the actual act of getting on your knees or getting on the floor and bowing down before somebody. And so this, we see this in the Old Testament often of people bowing down before a king or a ruler or their conqueror. Um, so it is for us towards God. He is our king, our ruler. He has conquered our hearts, hasn't he? So we bow down before him. Now this word is, it, it, what it's communicating is, it, it's, it's the external action of an internal attitude. Bowing down is the external action of an internal attitude. So if I'm bowing down before God, that's the external action. What do you think is the internal attitude that would prompt such a response? What's my attitude of my heart? What do you think? Humility, reverence, submission, gratitude. Yes, all of these things. Are, are, are responses of humility, right? Uh, humility is, is you are there and I am here, right? To it, and, and when in relation to God, it is to the eternal degree. And so therefore, I, I reverence you, I, re, I revere you, I worship you. Uh, I, I am thankful for anything that you give me, right? Because I don't deserve it, because I'm here and you're there, right? It's that posture, it's that attitude. Uh, a, f- a couple verses to kind of illustrate or, or give examples of this word being used. Uh, Psalm 96, verse 9. Somebody read that for us, please. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the All right. Now this, this verse is, man, it's, it's glorious. But our word here, uh, Hava, is worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. Now you can see, remember, um, uh, if you can remember that far back, uh, we, we 
talked about contrast, or especially in the Old Testament and especially in the poetry and songs of the Old Testament, you have when you have two lines, there's a dynamic between the two lines, and sometimes it's compare and contrast, right? Like, you know, this is side A, but this is side B. This is the wise man, but this is the fool, right? Proverbs. But a lot of times in Psalms, you'll have uh, this is A, and this is A said just a different way, right? This is A, and this is the complement of A. And so what we, that's what we have here. So worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. The second line complements or, 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 or colors in um, the first line. And it says, tremble before him all the earth. So you can see here the worship is bow down before Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. And that's the outward expression. But what's the, the inward attitude is a heart of trembling. Right? Humility, uh, a holy and healthy fear of God that I am, I am in the presence of someone who is pure and someone who I am accountable to as, as my creator. Now, we got to keep going. I, I, man, that, the, the second line of that, worship him in the splendor of holiness. Uh, just... When, when you see the beauty of the holiness of God, when you appreciate that, Christian, uh, you can't help but worship him. Uh, Psalm 95 verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our, God, Yahweh, our maker. So we see here worship and then bow down. Uh, worship was our, uh, is our first word, avad. And then bow down is our second word, hava. So you have both words there. So uh, serve him or worship him and bow down to him. Give reverence to him. Both, both are parts of worship. They are interchangeable. They are two sides of the same coin, however you want to say it. Kneel before Yahweh, our maker. So there again, you see the parallelism. So if, if, if A is bowed down, that's the outward expression. What, what is he, or that's the inward heart, actually. What's it going to look like here? Well, you're going to kneel before Yahweh, your maker, right? So that's what we do. Every time we come here on a Sunday morning, this is what God expects of you. This, this inward uh, attitude of humility coming before. I, I get to worship the Lord today. I get to come into his presence and gather with his saints I get to show him and give him the honor and adoration that he deserves. Okay, the, the New Testament uh, it has two words as well that are the main words for worship. Uh, the first word here in the New Testament is latruo. Latruo. Now we're gonna. It's gonna be a lot like the Old Testament. There's there's actually. Uh, similarities between the Old Testament and the New Testament ideas or teachings on worship, and that's to be expected because we worship the same God as the God of the Old Testament. And so a lot of those similarities are going to carry over. So likewise, Latruo is, is, is very much like the, that first word that we looked at, to serve, avad. Uh, Latruo means rel uh, religious service. It's talking about religious service. 
service. And if the Old Testament idea of service was connected to the to the priests in the in the tabernacle, then what does that make us? Priests unto our God. We we are a nation of priests. We are a kingdom of priests uh, in Christ. And so, just like they served and did priestly work that and service as an act of worship to God, so also we get to do the same thing uh, in a much uh, greater way. I would argue. As New Testament saints, we serve God uh, in the presence of God every day and all day. So wherever you go, Christian, you are doing priestly worship, priestly work. That means when you're washing the dishes at home, when you're cleaning up the laundry or or doing uh, the household chores, when you're doing homework, when you're at work doing the nine to five, uh, when, and especially when you are uh, reading the Bible and praying to the Lord, when you're serving uh, in whatever ministry the Lord has placed you in, in this church, uh, when you come before here, even this right here, uh, what you're doing now, you are doing priestly work. This is an act of worship. Why? How? Because, the, because you are showing that God is worthy of your honor and adoration by being here. And, and so when you work or when you uh, care for the home or when you do schoolwork or, or whatever else in between, when you're with family or friends, uh, you are given opportunities throughout the day to what? Show, uh, to give God the, worth, the honor and adoration that he deserves. You're given opportunities to sh- display God is worthy of your honor and adoration all throughout the day. So, yes, you, got, you are doing priestly work. You have the opportunity to do priestly work uh, throughout the day if you are a true Christian. Why? Well, because you're the temple of God, right? Aren't you? And so you don't need to go to a temple. You are the temple of God. My, my goodness, this, this is uh, so glorious. Uh, Luke 2. Verse 36 and 37, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And verse 37, then as a widow to the age of 84, and she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So we see this uh, Old Testament service um, that we talked about with the, old, with the Hebrew word avad, to serve. We see that function carried over into the New Testament at the very beginning of the New Testament before the New Covenant was uh, enacted in, in, in Christ's work. But we see the, our word latruo used here uh, for serving. So, okay, the, God wants us to understand this latruo word, this Greek word latruo, is the parallel to the Hebrew word avon. So the, the service of the Old Testament is this word, latrua. Okay, how is that used in the New Testament? Romans 1, 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the wrong way to, to do this is to do things that communicate that you think that something or someone in the created realm is worthy of your honor and adoration. It is to serve the creature that is idolatry. So whenever you place honor and adoration uh, on a creature rather than on God, that's idolatry. God condemns that. That is sin. Now, Acts 7.42 tells us that God turned away and delivered them to serve the hosts of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, did you present me with slain beasts and sacrifices for 40 years in, uh, in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Um, God is speaking of the Old Testament acts of worship, and he uses the, the same word again here, Lutruo, for um, presenting sacrifices and uh, uh, serving, serving him. Uh, the, the idea is to serve him with these, with these sacrifices. And then lastly, Hebrews 9, 14. Uh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered uh, himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, here we are. Uh, the blood of Christ uh, has bought you and has cleansed you. And it cleanses your conscience from dead works. You are not in your mind bound to worship creation rather than creator. Rather, you have been cleansed and bought and redeemed. Why? To serve the living God. So instead of serving idols, instead of serving and heaping honor and adoration and, and, and your heart upon people and things of this world, you are to, to set those things upon the living God instead. That's the purpose of the gospel. So the gospel is about worship. You are to serve the living God because if you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. If you're not serving God, you're serving yourself. And practically, just, just in the church, if, you're not, if, you, if you don't have a song to sing about God, then uh, I, I can guarantee you that, you that that person is probably singing songs uh, in, in that person's commute maybe, that is self-aggrandizing. That is self-promoting. You need to sing songs that show the honor and adoration that you have towards God. Because if you don't sing about Him, you're going to sing about yourself. If you don't declare His worth, you're going to be self-centered. If you don't do things for God, you're just going to do things for yourself. That's why you should be busy serving God. Yes, you should be busy serving God. 
You should have to move things in your schedule in order to do something for the church. Cancel plans or move plans or postpone or, or, or make things work around your ministry in the church. Yes, that comes first. Absolutely. And Christ would say it comes first before your family. Why? Because your family needs you to worship your God. They don't need you to serve yourself. That's the last thing they need. They need you to serve the Lord. They need you to show that he is worthy of your honor and your adoration physically. Remember, this is connected to the Old Testament word of the priest doing priestly service in the, in the, in the temple. That, that means that what he's talking about here in this verse is you're actually going to do something. Physically do something that shows your honor and adoration towards your God. Okay, and then lastly here, proskuneo. Proskuneo is the, the, the other main uh, New Testament Greek word for worship. And much like uh, Hava of the Old Testament, uh, proskuneo means to fall down, to worship, to fall down, or to kneel. In worship, it's again sometimes seen with people kneeling before someone else in respect. Uh, and just like uh, Hava, it, it is uh, an outward expression of an inward attitude. Proskuneo is an outward expression of an inward attitude or an inward attitude that is expressed outwardly. That's proskuneo. To fall down to worship. So a, a, few, a few passages in the New Testament to illustrate this. Because we've got to get going to the next point. Uh, Matthew 2.11. Can I have somebody read that for us? So you see here the falling to the ground and the worshiping. That's the idea here of proskuneo, is to fall down, to worship. And th this, is, uh, this is the act, of course, of uh, the Magi before uh, the baby, the, the child, Jesus. And uh, I was reminded this past Christmas by a brother that... Uh, Jesus, at this point, had not done anything, right? I mean, that, that just elevates our understanding of this. At this point, Jesus is still a baby. He hasn't done a single thing. And yet, just because of who he is, they worship, right? So this gets at the heart of, of, of gets towards the heart of worship. You are, you are ascribing worship. Uh, Honor and adoration upon somebody because of their inherent worth, right? It's not because of what you get out of God. That's not why you should worship your God, because of what you benefit from him. You worship him because he's worthy. That's the word. Worthship. 
You worship him because he's worthy. Now, being thankful for what he's done, that's part of your worship, but that's not all. You worship him because of who he is. Just as the Magi did here, the he, Jesus hasn't done anything yet, but yet they fall on their faces and they give him their best. And so also aren't we. So you don't, you don't make ultimatums with God, Christian. You don't say, you know what, if, if you do this, then I'll worship you. Then I'll, then I'll really set my heart after you. Or you don't say, well, I'll, I'll worship you and, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll adore you as long as you do this for me, God. No, you worship him solely because he's worthy of your worship. No strings attached. Uh, Matthew 4, 9 and 10. He said to him, uh, this is uh, Jesus and Satan uh, in the wilderness where Satan is tempting Jesus, Matthew 4, 9 and 10, Satan said to him, that is Christ, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. There's our word, proskuneo, if you proskuneo me, if you fall down and you, and you revere me. And Jesus, what was his answer? He said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There it is. No, you're wanting me to do something that only God deserves. You're wanting me to, to physically, and you're wanting me to take a posture of, of ascribing you honor and adoration where only God is worthy of my honor and adoration. And this is, this is the world, isn't it? It says, if you, if you just give me your allegiance, oh, I'll just make all your dreams come true, right? If you just do it my way, if you just do it the world's way, if you just fall in line with the society around you, it will go well. And your response, Christian, needs to be, no, no, no. I worship and serve my God and my God alone. Only he is worthy of worship. Uh, John 9, 37 and 38. Jesus uh, said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Um, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Uh, th- this is the context, I'm sorry, is uh, that blind man who was given sight by Christ and uh, and uh, what I want to draw from here is, is really the lesson of, of this passage is those who behold Christ, those who finally and really see Christ, the only right response is worship. Amen. So Christian, have you seen Christ? Then you're going to worship him. You're going to have this posture before him. And it will be, be uh, demonstrable uh, to those around you that Christ has your honor and adoration. And likewise, if you don't worship him, then you haven't seen him. See? That's the flip side of this. 
And that's the story of the Pharisees, right? They, they, they saw Christ, but they didn't see him in his glory. Uh, not only the physical eyes, but the spiritual eyes of this man has been restored to sight. And he beheld Christ in his glory as he really is. And the only response is faith and worship, right? Lord, I believe. And then he worshiped him. <laughs> he got on his knees and he, he heaped upon Christ honor and adoration. Um, you can jot down uh, Luke 24, 51 and 52. Luke 24, verse 51 and 52. That's where the Pharisees, or excuse me, the, the apostles um, uh, see um, Christ uh, ascend into heaven. And when he was carried up into heaven, it says they worshiped him. So that's our response to the risen and ascended, the exalted Christ. Our response to the exalted and risen and ascended Christ is worship. And uh, so, uh, this word is the word in our main passage, John four twenty four. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, this, this proskuneo word. So, now that we understand what worship is, it is, it is uh, giving honor and adoration to God. That's what it is. And, and, it's, and it's a heart attitude uh, it, of, of humility. It is, it is a posture of humility, and, and, it, and it even comes out in physical acts of service. So it's not merely a heart thing, it, it is a whole body thing. So, in the New Testament, God uh, in Christ, or Christ as God, rather, uh, wants to take our understanding, and, I, and I, would, I would say refine our understanding. So secondly, this morning, the second point is refining worship. And I just mean this to say, I want to refine our understanding, your understanding of worship. I think we all kind of essentially know what it means, but we want it to, to refine it. We want to, to, to really get um, specific and intentional in our worship. Again, we're going to stay here in John 4. John 4, verse 24 again. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I want to, I'm going to read the context. Uh, the, the first point here on A is the invitation to worship. The invitation to worship. I want to read the context for us to get the whole picture, and then we'll, we'll double back here. Beginning in John 4, verse 7. John 4, verse 7. A, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How do you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So there already is the initial invitation. And then verse 11, she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst ever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a, a well of water springing up to eternal life. So he, he again offers this, this, uh, this, this water to her, this, this, you could say, soul water, and, and in, it even in, is enticing her with the benefits of this. And the woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or nor come back here to draw. And Jesus knows that the reason why she doesn't want to come back to draw is because she has to go there alone, because she's a woman of shame. And that's what he gets at. He gets into her sin. Verse 16, he said to her, Go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And this you have said truly. So he's, he's, he's bringing her sin and, and her, 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 he's displaying to her, you know, the, the thirst that you have is not for water. Your, your problem is not that you're thirsty for water. Your, your problem is that you're, you're thirsty for this fulfillment and you think that you can find it in men, but you can't. And the woman said to him, Sir, I, I see that you're a prophet. So she gets all godly. She's like, okay, this is we're talking Christian here. Okay, okay, I, I know, I know Christian stuff. You know, I, I was catechized as a child, or or whatever. I, I got some background. Okay, okay, we're having this. This is this is the discussion. All right, uh, verse twenty. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said. To, to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then notice these, these words. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all, all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the, 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 the gravity of this moment should not be wasted upon us here. The fact that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to this Samaritan woman is an act of grace. Verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came and they were marveling that he was speaking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you speaking with her? So the woman let her, left her water 
jar and went into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. I, I, I want to read that just because we shouldn't uh, just assume some things here. Uh, you worship God through Christ and a right relationship with him. And God invites you to worship him. He invites sinners to worship him. That's a grace of God, that he invites all sinners to worship him. And the context here is just stunning because he goes for this, this woman, the Samaritan woman, and this adulterous Samaritan woman, showing that the past sins of a person, as long as they have accepted the gospel of Christ, the past sins of a person do not diminish the acceptance of that person's worship. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, Christian. If you are truly a believer, God accepts your worship. And this woman is evidence of that. Christ here personally, personally and lovingly speaks with essentially a social outcast. And he invites her to worship him. Showing her who he really is, the Messiah. And we could talk about you know, her response is, well, how do we know that she worshipped him? Well, because she went and told other people about him. That is an act of worship. Because you're telling people about the worth. You're telling them about, about how I believe that this person is worthy of honor and adoration. Right? I'm giving to this one honor and adoration by telling others about him. See? And her, yeah, her life was completely changed from that moment forward. Okay, now, the, the place of worship. The place of worship. Be on your notes. John 4, verse 21 through 24, again. Uh, Jesus, well, she said, actually in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Um, and then Jesus answered to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What, is, what are they talking about here? So the Samaritans, who, by the way, they only accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The Samaritans only accepted and acknowledged the first five books of the Bible, they said that the place of worship was Shechem, which was where the blessings were declared, according to them, in Deuteronomy 11. So, Samaritans, Shechem, Deuteronomy 11. Okay. Now, the Jews understood that in Deuteronomy 12, the Jews understood that, that, that in Deuteronomy 12, God said he was going to 
He was, he was going to choose a place of their worship. And that, that had not happened yet in Deuteronomy 12. So he was making a promise that I, I will give you the place where you're going to worship me forever. And, and eventually we know that after the Pentateuch, right, that place was Jerusalem. The temple site in Jerusalem. So uh, the Samaritans... Uh, believe the place, the, the the hill of the place of worship was Shechem, according to uh, Deuteronomy 11. The uh, Jews understood that uh, Jerusalem was the place of worship, from based on Deuteronomy 12. And so they're having this debate, right? This 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 age old debate: where do we worship? And what Jesus says. Here, well, first of all, in verse 22, he says, well, you're wrong because you've rejected the rest of my revelation to the Jews, to my people. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So he says, you should not have broken ties with the Jews because I've always said that salvation is going to come through the Jews. The Messiah will be born of the lineage of the Jews. And so you're, you're wrong in rejecting us. Uh, and then verse 23, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Uh, what's happening here is the Messiah is ushering in a new era of worship, you could say. This is a new era of worship. When location is obsolete. This is the era of the New Testament, the New Covenant, rather. The age of the New Covenant in which we live, worship is obsolete. Or excuse me, <laughs> location is obsolete. Thank you. Thank you for your gas. <laughs> uh, my brain is going... I don't know if my brain is going too quick or if my mouth is going too quick for my brain. One of them is not catching up. Uh, Christ is ushering in a new era where location is obsolete when it comes to worship. Externals and locality are not significant in worship. So this means the place of worship does not contribute to the authenticity or validity of worship. You might think, well, why do I have to show up on Sunday morning then? We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that in this series. But Christ wants to, to um, make obsolete this location-based, uh, formality-based worship. Uh, Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here, Christ is saying that uh, our worship of God is to have a different location than the Old Testament. And our worship as New Covenant believers involves two components, right? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And uh, we're not going to get through this. Um, spirit and truth. When, when, when we offer our worship to God, 
it must be founded on the truth of Scripture in its content and its form. And it must be done in our spirit or with our spirit by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Both are involved. What is he saying? Our worship of God should engage our whole person. Remember Mark 12, 30, which pulls from the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This means that our mind, our understanding, as well as our emotions and our affections, Truth, as well as spirit, are the essentials for worship, not Shechem or the mount in Jerusalem. You see what he's doing? What he's doing is he's, and he's not ignoring the location. I would argue he's not ignoring the location aspect of this, of this discussion. He doesn't say, forget about location. I just care about the heart. It's part of it. But he, he is, I think, wisely addressing the location. He is saying that the, the place where you worship God, where you meet God, is not on the mountain Mount in Shechem and not in the mountain of Jerusalem anymore. The time is coming and now is where you will be the place where you go to worship God. You will be the temple. And the people of God will be the abiding uh, dwelling place of God. So I would argue that what he's saying here, in part, is that the place of worship is you. The whole you. The entire you. Mind and heart. The entire you. Now, Additionally, in this is the principle of worship. And we're, we're going to finish, we'll, we'll tie this up next week. Okay? We're going to look at spirit and truth and really get into, okay, what does, that, what does that mean? Spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit, my spirit, truth, what, what kind of truth? And what does that mean for our corporate worship together as a body? All right, so we'll, we'll button this up uh, next week. And um, I want to close with uh, a quote. A quote from Stephen Charnock on worship. It's just so good. Uh, in his book, uh, The Existence and Attributes of God, by Stephen Charnock, he says, Worship. Worship is an act of the understanding, applying itself to the knowledge of the excellency of God and actual thoughts of his majesty, recognizing him as the supreme Lord and governor of the world, beholding the glory of his attributes in the Redeemer. This is the sole act of the spirit of man, this must be done with understanding. Truth, right? 
spirit and truth. This must be done with understanding, with a knowledge and sense of his greatness, goodness, and wisdom. It is also an act of the will, whereby the soul adores his spirit. The soul adores and reverences his majesty. So you not only understand his majesty, but you reverence his majesty. Spirit and truth. Uh, It is also an act of the will whereby the soul adores and reverences his majesty, is ravished with his loveliness, embraces his goodness, enters itself into an intimate communion with this most holy object, and throws all his affections upon him. That's what you do when you worship. Spirit and truth, your mind is filled with the truth of the glory of God and you respond with honor and adoration. Trust that you would even practice that this morning as we gather with the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the honor that it is, the blessing that it is to just worship you. I pray, Lord, in this next hour that we would be able to practice uh, what we learn, that we would be able to, 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 to worship you and give you the honor and adoration that only you deserve. May our hearts be fixated upon you, Lord Jesus, as we hear of you from your word and as we sing your praises. And, and I pray, Lord, that our worship wouldn't stay confined to this, these four walls and to the list, this location, but that wherever we go and whatever we do, we would worship you because you're worthy of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.